Welcome to the Corporate Corner. My name is Mats Andersson. And I'm Ariel Green Andersson. We'll share with you conversations with people from around the world about their corporate experiences. At TCC, we look forward to together creating community. So, hello everyone, and uh, this is another episode of the P- Corporate Corner, and uh, my name is Mats Andersson, and I'm your host today. And it's been crazy last week, so that's why you haven't seen many podcasts coming out, but here comes one. And as I said in the beginning of the second season, we're going to have uh, some not uh, typical corporate characters, but who have fascinating life stories and have a touch on corporate because everything leads to that, doesn't it? Today we have Matthew Gamble as a guest and uh, Matthew and I uh, met in a playground uh, not long ago. Our kids were playing and we started to chat and we've been talking kind of a lot uh, afterwards and uh, he's new to the area here in Northern California as well and uh, He has a fascinating story about, uh, yeah, you'll hear it soon. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you very much, Matt. Good to have you here. Thank you. So uh, to to tell the listeners, uh, uh, so they they know what they're hearing, they they listen to a priest who has uh, uh, started a new career. Yeah. Yeah, I was a pastor in Christianity for 18 years. Um, so it was, it, it's been quite a journey, but in 2017, I did resign uh, from that, I'll call it a profession. At the time, it felt like a calling, um, but I was certainly a paid for clergy person for, for 18 years. And had a wonderful, really a wonderful career in, in many respects, but definitely going through some transitions in life uh, and I'm at a different, a very different place in life today. Yeah, yeah let, let's dive into this because uh, I, I never had the, the chance to, to talk uh, with someone uh, of faith where I could really ask questions right. uh, without being uh, kind of worrying that I'm tipping on, stepping on some toes. So I'm, I'm going to ask you everything. Uh, can we can we backwind? So, like, where 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 are you born? Where where did you, how did you where did you start? You're here from somewhere in the U.S. Sure, yeah, born in Concord, Massachusetts. So, at least with with uh, American history, we we have Paul Revere that was uh, riding through there, uh, giving the midnight midnight cry. Um, but I was born in Concord, Mass. Um, I did the math the other day. And I realized that I, I have moved on average, I'm 45 at this point, I've moved on average every 3.7 years of my life to a different state. Oh, wow. um, so I have moved around quite a bit, uh, including through childhood, Massachusetts, Atlanta, Georgia, um, St. Louis, Missouri. And then I ended up, <clears throat> uh, at, at, for high school, I ended up in St. Augustine, Florida, which is where my parents still live to this day. And I consider my home. I, okay. I love it there. And so, so Florida, you consider it as your home? Yeah, Northeast yeah. Florida, right on the beach. It's an old. It's the oldest city in the nation, yeah. in the United States, St. Augustine, Florida. A lot of history and just a really cool old beach town. Um, there's an island called Anastasia Island that we lived on. Again, my folks are still there and, and uh, pl- a place that, that holds a lot of a lot of meaning for me. Um, a lot of life transitions, like like even me transitioning into Christianity. I was an atheist through high school, and then had a pretty major conversion story at the age of nineteen. I I was uh, I don't know if I've shared this with you yet, Mads, yeah, but wow. I was I was smuggling cannabis from Jamaica um, into oh, wow. into the states into Florida. Um, ended up at 19 bringing three pounds um, of cannabis through and thought I was the man. I was just like, I'm going to make millions. And, and uh, <laughs> it was a unique, unique journey. But what, what, what did happen, what spun out of that is I, again, from being an atheist, and my, my atheism was based on just, 
I just couldn't reconcile a God being benevolent, loving, um, with all the suffering in life, including in my own soul. I, I had some depression through high school and, um, and then, yeah, went on this trip to Jamaica to understand cannabis was playing a role in my life, but to understand why the Rastafarians like Bob Marley, why was he uh, using cannabis for spiritual purposes? I did not go there to intend to smuggle, but that did end up happening. And then when I got through customs without getting caught, I had a drug dog sniff my bag, yeah. went through x-rays. And when I didn't get caught, I believed in a higher, I believed at that moment that a higher power was watching out for me. And, um, but I didn't know where this higher power was. And so I started to pray and a you, you could have gone to prison for years for that. Oh, it, it could have radically changed the entire trajectory of my life had I gotten caught. It would have, it would have, my life would not remotely be the same because I've, I've since gone on to travel all over the world, uh, speaking, um, in, in largely in Christian circles. Um, but yes. So, yeah. so your faith come from that you, 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 you came through the customs without being caught and then you are. And I started praying. I'm like, I'm like, I, I just started believing that there was a, there was somebody, somebody somewhere that I did not know that had a plan and purpose for my life. Do you it, still believe that? You know, I do. I do. I, I will get into this, but I, I'm struggling with my faith right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as certain as I once was with my Christian walk. Um, and I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy to jump into that as to why, where, where my, um, just where my, um, uh, uh, challenges with Christianity, it just left me wanting. And, um, but at the time I was praying, I was seeking, I happened to meet, a, I went to a wedding. It happened to be my half-brother's wedding. Mm -hmm. He was marrying a Seventh-day Adventist woman. I had never heard of a Seventh-day Adventist in my life. And long story short, again, in my seeking, I talked to the pastor, the one that officiated the wedding, and just said, man, I'm on a journey. I told him a little bit. I said, can we talk? And we met, and he handed me a Bible at the end of our meeting. I told him my life journey up to that point. At this point, I was about 20. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I took that Bible and I started reading it. It was just the New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs. So I started reading about Jesus. I had never studied Jesus before. Uh, my parents were very nominal Catholic. So we would go to church from time to time, two to four times a year type of thing. And, um, but when I started reading the scriptures, I was like, man, this Jesus guy is amazing and I'd like to get to know him more. And all I knew was my brother was at, I knew the pastor was Adventist. So when I returned to Florida, I looked up the local Seventh-day Adventist church and went to that church and these people just loved me in. It was an all black, predominantly Caribbean, uh, based church. I was the, I, I jokingly say I was the only colored person there. That may be a sensitive topic at this stage. And it is. I, I, yeah. I, so, um, but I was the only white guy yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. And these people just loved me in and it just radically changed my life. And, and suddenly I had this new, newfound faith or this new book called the Bible to, that just is, chock full of all these stories. So I had a plethora of things to read and study. And um, literally a month after getting that Bible, a lady at the church told me about the Seventh-day Adventists are, are known for three major things. They have a worldwide education system, a worldwide healthcare system, and a worldwide church system. And she told me about uh, the universities that are around the United States. Um, I was always into aviation and business management. So I applied to Andrews University in Michigan, got accepted in November. Um, so I received the Bible in October of 95, applied to Andrews University for aviation business management in November, yeah. December, I was in Michigan 
uh, at a at a Seventh Day Adventist University. And about two weeks later, I went to an event where they opened the floor for testimony, and I opened my mouth about Jamaica, and uh, just felt really inspired that I just wanted to study theology. So I went on the following Monday and switched my major to theology and ended up getting involved with leadership and leading leading uh, mission trips like building projects to Haiti and types of things. And I ended up getting a call to pastor in, in Seattle, Washington so you, out of you, undergrad. you studied a couple of years there? Or theology, yeah, I studied three years, three graduated, years. Uh, started there winter quarter of 96. So in, in January of 96 and uh, graduated in 99 with a degree in theology and got picked up, um, they call it a call, or uh, picked up by the Washington Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. So I was pastoring just south of Seattle. Yeah. Okay. And so then you had a, you were pastoring in different places, or they send you around? or is it Yeah, like... so um, I ended up, so I pastored there for a year and a half, and then went back and got my master's degree. Uh, was mar- got married as well. I was dating a woman uh, who was an undergrad, um, while I was an undergrad, she was a few years younger than I was and, um, got married. And then part of the agreement is they paid for my master's degree. So a master's of divinity, uh, Washington conference did. So I returned back and this time they placed me downtown Seattle and I was a church planter, which means if it, in the corporate world or in the business world, we talk about startup companies. Yeah. I started a church from scratch. Ah, okay. um, so it wasn't existing. We rented a facility. We didn't have any team members, but we just grew by osmosis and started meeting people in the community. Um, so it was a very progressive church, rock band uh, style, and just kind of out of the box. But um, And at the time, I don't know where Seattle ranks now, but at the time, Seattle was known as the most unchurched city in the nation, so a very secular city, like most of Europe would be. Um, You know, United... Northern Europe. Right, well, but United States, so they say in Christendom that Europe is post-Christian, Australia is leaning that way, and the United States is close behind. Yeah. So I think the trajectory in the United States is that it is moving to a, a more post-Christian uh, society as fewer and fewer people engage in church, yeah. including myself. Yeah, account <laughs> for that, right? So how is it to run a church? Is it, is it like uh, being in a company? You, you have people working for you, you have the facilities sure. you need to take. Is it like any management job or? I would I would say so, and that's that's part of my you know my part of my dilemma now. And I know we're kind of jumping back and forth that's here great. a little bit, yeah. um, or I am. But um, you know, yes, it is. It is. You are running a business. It happens to be a nonprofit business, and I don't think a lot of people in the church maybe think about it that way, unless you get around business-minded people, which I was always surrounding myself with those people. Uh, because we had, we have to pay taxes, there's rules and regulations, um, but then you're managing people, and in our case, it was largely volunteers, so very few staff, um, predominantly volunteer. And I would argue um, that that managing volunteers, I mean, first of all, to, to... if you can imagine, to get somebody to volunteer their time and their, their talent, their ability... It's a tough sale, so they've got to, they have to really believe in the vision that you're after. Um, what I always loved to do was come alongside people that had unique passions, whether it was, again, the bands we had play at our church were very, uh, it would be, be abnormal within mainline Christianity. These were actually rock bands that were playing at venues in Seattle uh, but being able to talk, tell these guys, many of whom loved God or appreciated Scripture, but hey, we want to take, we want you to use your talent, your gift, your ability, your style. We want that in our local church. That was super attractive to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had, we would attract artists, real creative people that were out of the box, that wouldn't feel maybe at home at a at a mainline. Christian church, um, with the church was called Twenty Four Seven Ministry Center, 
um, that we started. And uh, but we attracted these people that were like, you know what, I I I love God or I appreciate God or I'm open to God. And man, if you're giving me the opportunity to use my passion for that, I'm all in. And uh, so it was fun to, to be able to empower people that way. And uh, we had a policy that the answer was yes. So, you know, if you had a dream or vision or aspiration, the answer was yes. And we wanted to see that thing come to fruition. So really empowering people from the ground up, kind of flipping the script on the paradigm. Um, you know, in the corporate world, it's often a top-down leadership structure. So you've got the CEO or, or C-suite executives that are calling the shots. Though we had those titles or that position, we tried to flip that paradigm around and really be a service-oriented. So as leaders, really empowering people from the ground up, and we wanted to lift. But it was still you who were the kind of giving the impulse. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was speaking every week or most every week, and... Now, when you were speaking, the, 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 is it sun, every Sunday then you were speaking? So huh? Adventist meet on Saturdays. But, on Saturday, but, okay. Yeah, Saturday, Sunday, yeah. So how, how, how do you make your, do you always relate to the Bible? And mm -hmm. and, and you kind of, how do, you, how do you feel it, like you're lecture, lecturing? I always felt like you've been lecturing a little bit when you're in a church. I mean, I haven't been much in the churches, but. Yeah. So it, at at one time, Matt, I was much bigger online than I am presently. Like if you Google search my name, Matthew Gamble, um, you will you will find content. So for those of you listening to the podcast, you're welcome to go to YouTube and you'll see sermons. Okay. I think a bunch of them are from Australia. Uh, that church in Seattle is still running to this day. But my style of of speaking is like this it's it's extemporaneous like you're not using notes There's, yeah. this is not canned this is live um when i got up to preach yes i would use the bible every single week there was no no deviation from that um but i i use this i was attracted to and used a style uh that's called expository as opposed to topical So expository is literally going verse by verse. So, yeah. you know, the Gospel of Matthew was the first book in the New Testament. I would literally do a whole series out of the Gospel of Matthew and literally go verse by verse. And that can sound boring to some, but I knew where I was starting. I knew the con I knew the the amount of text that I was covering. The audience knew the amount of text. But what I would do is study and prepare. And when I would get up and speak, I would have a, a screen with the passages on the screen. But then my sermon or the message would be extemporaneous, meaning I had some thoughts and I knew some stories yeah. or illustrations. But then but then I was always scared out of my mind and nervous to get up, not just to public speak, but because I didn't know the outcome. I mean, I really didn't know exactly where we were going to end up entirely. But I think I think my style, if you will, I'm not trying to boast, but I think it was attractive because so many people within Christianity were so they were so accustomed to a a more traditional approach yeah. that having something fresh that felt that was really alive, like it was it was on. Yeah. And I mean, I was very raw and. Um, so that's that e e extemporaneous style yeah. of getting up. Extemporaneous. And I never heard that word. All right. So it's kind of no, no, like freestyling, yeah. yeah, yeah, if you will. Extemporaneous. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I'm doing all the time. All right. Yeah. <laughs> We're in good company. Yeah. And that's so how long did you stay in Seattle? So I was there out of, out of uh, after my seminary, um, we moved there, started January in 2003. Again, I had just been married in 2002. And uh, we were there until 2008, and my my then wife, we just went through a divorce last year, uh, but she was in med school at the University of Washington, and then uh, she, what's called match, so at the, in your last year of re uh, med school, um, med students match, where they apply and interview at different residency programs, she matched at Yale, and so we moved to New Haven, Connecticut in 2008. 
and I launched my own nonprofit at that time. Okay. Um, I, at, by this point, I had already been speaking globally, um, but while she was at Yale for those three years, um, I was doing contract work for, the, for what's called the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventist. Um, they hired me to, be a, uh, uh, to help out as a contract worker over there. They, they started these various centers um, I was invited in to, to uh, contribute to the Center for Secular and Postmodern Studies. Secular and Postmodern Studies. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So what, what that focused on was, was looking at demographics around the world. Um, but in urban settings, especially, you know, they, they would argue we're in this postmodern stage where, um, you know, in, the, in modernity where factories were coming in and, and where businesses were taking on a certain style, we're now in this postmodern stage where um, where societies are, are, are and business the way businesses run is radically shifting. You know, a lot of things. I just saw a statistic yesterday about sales that went online uh, that have just jumped significantly even dur- during this COVID crisis. Uh, so the way business is handled and everything else, but looking at trends and the way people think mm-hmm. um, is very different from 30, 40, 50 years ago. So do the seven-day Adventists, do they have some kind of management board where, which decides we should either do the study or is it, is it some yeah. supervisory board sitting so, in on the money distribution and on, on, on yes. the strategy? So th- this is this it's like is like any company. Yeah. Oh, it's it's very much a corporation. No questions asked. So you've got in the in the Adventist Church, which is a little different from most Protestant churches. So within Christianity, you, you have two major branches, if you will. You have Catholicism, which is a major mothership of itself, and then you have Protestants. So Martin Luther, he protested the Catholic Church, and uh, from Martin Luther, you have now thousands of Protestant churches, literally, um, on the face of the planet. Adventism has a very hierarchical structure within their administration. So if, if you were to imagine uh, an upside-down, well, it, I guess it doesn't really matter the way you look at the pyramid, but if you would imagine a local church, yeah. a Seventh-day Adventist church, above that is a conference office, a literal physical brick-and-mortar office with president, vice president, treasurer, secretaries, and all types of departments. Above that, they have a union, which would be over a multi-state union. Mm-hmm. Then you in, in, a union, like really a union for well, no, 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 sorry, no, no, sorry, no, not not a union. No, as in, thinking, this yeah. is going to protect you no, no. Uh, from your rights or for your rights. The other and, way around. It, it's the other way around. Yeah. They just happen to call it. So the tiers are, you got the local church, the conference, the union, the division. So in our case here in North America, it would be the North American division. Um, Then you have the general conference of Seventh-day Adventists, which oversees the world church. And right now, roughly 20 million, uh, there's roughly 20 million members of the Adventist church. Um, While I'm on the books, I don't identify as Adventist anymore. I want to be very clear about that, but there's this hierarchical structure that is just chock full of nonsense. So I'll, I'll give you a case in point, especially for those of you that are in uh, business. Um, you can you, you, hearing what I'm about to say would hopefully sh- be a little bit of shock and awe. In the five years, so I was pastoring a church in the Napa Valley, not too far from where we're sitting right now. It's on the campus of St. Helena Hospital, which is a Seventh-day Adventist-owned and operated hospital. That campus has been there for 130 years. I took over a dead church. Uh, It's a 600-seat facility uh, that had roughly 30 people in attendance. Within five and a half years, we raised that church. We had uh, roughly 350 people in attendance. Um, uh, Over 500 people would have considered us their church home. We raised to over $2.7 million and the denomination to be able to support this conference union division and GC because all your money goes trickles up. Um, of the $2.7 million that we raised within that church, $2.2 million was siphoned out. 
Wow, it's enormous. It's a... it's just a racket. It's 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 demonic in my opinion. Yeah, and it nearly made me lose my brain. You you know you can see that I've lost all my hair, um, but I was suffering big time because I'm an innovator and I want to I want to I want to see that money go to use. Yeah, and and be able to expand and innovate and grow. But it was just literally when our treasurer types in a tithe amount. Uh, somebody gives, it's a biblical principle, uh, but somebody gives an offering or a tithe offering. Once he types in that number, that check is immediately written to the conference office. We don't have any control over that. So there's some people making a lot of money behind the scene of this. It's, it, it's in the Adventist church, which is very different from many of the mainline Protestant churches, but the way that Adventist role is very unique. Um, but it's not that they're making a lot of money so much as what it is. There's a lot of nepotism within the leadership. So conference president, his wife is working there as well. So she may be a secretary or they may put her over, over a particular ministry. Um, and it's not that their pay is that much different per se. Um, because what they do is, is the, the church sends up the money to the conference. The conference takes out a portion, they send it up to the union. Union takes out a portion, they send it up to the division. The division takes out a portion, sends it up to the general conference. Do, coming back to what you said, do you think nepotism is bad? Absolutely, I do. Because I, I see that the whole Bay Area is working, it's nepotism. It's only about who you know and... and, and okay, so, well... So, so in, in one way, you, you know someone and you trust them and uh, you, you, you give them a chance. Yes. Now, that's different, though. If, if we're... Maybe I need to, to update my vocabulary, but when I, when I say nepotism, I'm specifically... I don't have a problem with it's who you know. Because quite frankly, if I'm going to hire somebody, you yeah. can be rest assured. I want to know who I'm getting, and I would like to know references that that would include people that I know or know somebody that knows somebody. That type of thing, I have no problem with that. But when you're when you're a CEO equivalent of a CEO, and you're hiring your bride, your wife, <laughs> yeah. to be yeah, yeah, that, to be a secretary, good. or you're putting your wife yeah. in as a as a leader over a ministry, even though that person may or may not have any qualifications to be in that position, that's just ridiculous. And now these people get to travel together all over the world. They get to, um, you know, they just, they, they have a lot of benefits that to me is just downright disgusting and inappropriate and it's not a hill I'm willing to die on because I've really washed my hands from the denomination. Um, I still have a lot of friends within the church, obviously. Um, but and I, and I care tremendously about people within the church. Uh, I just I just needed a time out. I stepped into it when I was 21, and it felt like as I look back on it now at 45, it feels like I stepped into a current. And I got swept along, and 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 I, I was there. I'm not trying to say I was a victim, and and quite frankly, it provided me this beautiful structure. Again, largest private healthcare system in the world, one of the largest private healthcare systems in the world, large, largest education system in the world, and one of the faster growing churches on the mm -hmm. planet. What, so, what 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 happened then? What what was your fallout coming from? Good question. So what, what, what happened was, is a mixture of things. Um, in 2017, uh, and this, this may be a wrench for some, and I, I hope we can have this in the podcast notes, and it's a very simple uh, uh, TED Talk. Um, but in early 2017, I was depressed. I was burned out. I felt under-supported. Um, I was really struggling with with uh, various things. I was, again, I was in a marriage that um, I think to this day that my ex and I deeply love each other. I think we just struggled showing it. Um, there's areas where I can take full ownership and, and 
you know, married to a woman through med school and residency is not easy. They're, they're married to, you have to be married to med school. You have to be married to residency and that's your priority. Uh, but in 2017, I was realizing something is missing for me. So at the crux of Christianity, to the, to the best of my ability to understand it, there's a very simple narrative of God saying, you are born into sin. Uh, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Often, I don't care if you're secular, if you're an atheist, uh, when we sin or go against, the Bible defines sin as the thing that I know to do right, but do not do it to that uh, person. It is a sin. Mm -hmm. So there's things in my life that I just know are not the best for me, but I'm attracted to those things. And like I have a carnal nature that I'm attracted to things that are maybe not the best for me. And again, the Bible would say to that, to that person, it is a sin. Yeah, and, the, the guys who wrote that book, they were pretty aware of human behavior. Absolutely. I mean, they say, they actually say that, scholars say that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. So the 66 books in the canon uh, that we call scripture, um, they say that Job is the oldest book. And Job is this, this story or this narrative of complete devastation. I mean, yeah. I'm going through some devastation, but this dude went through some heavy stuff. Um, and there's some, it, 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 it's, a, it's a fascinating read about humanity in general. And I think there's a lot of historical accuracy with scripture that is important. Um, but that said, there's this narrative of God saying, I'm sending this son to the planet. This man is gonna die for the sins of the human race. He rises again, and he's going to take the spirit that was in him and give it to the human race. This is called the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity, if you're familiar, Father, yeah. Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, God sends his son. Son testifies of God the Father. Uh, son dies. Holy Spirit comes into the planet in, in extra measure to testify of the Son. And so I really subscribe to this belief that the Holy Spirit was going to come into my life and transform me from the inside out. And why did I step away is that while I believed it with all my heart, I put my faith, hope, and trust in it. I got baptized March 23rd of 1996 in the, in the ocean in St. Augustine, a day I'll never forget. I signed up for a narrative that told me I'm a sinner that needs a Savior, and this Savior is going to come abide in me supernaturally and change me from the inside out. And in 2017, I just got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not seeing the evidence of that. I have core fundamental flaws in my character, <laughs> and I'm not seeing the evidence yeah. of this miraculous healing that I keep believing and trusting is going to come one day, but it's not coming. So I'm going to tap out. But furthermore, and we, we've talked about this a little bit, Matt, um, in early 2017, I stumble on a TED Talk um, where this doctor from Johns Hopkins University is talking about psilocybin. Yeah, and ro I, Roland something. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I don't, I, it, it's funny. Now, if you're listening, you, you can go look up Michael Pollan, who's written this book of how to change your mind. It's a very scholarly read and a very thorough study of the history of psychedelics. Um, but what science, scientists are discovering is there's this molecule that the human race produces naturally called DMT. I can mm -hmm. pronounce, my ex could pronounce the, the, dimetrylene, yeah, flyptonine, or whatever it is. Uh, but DMT is the spirit molecule. And what they're discovering at Johns Hopkins after a 15-year, now it'd be 17, 18-year study, is unprecedented findings of, of psilocybin being used to treat the likes of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, addiction issues, uh, anxiety, end-of-life issues, um, and they are finding unprecedented results with this naturally grown yeah. mushroom. So, so, yeah, so it's a mushroom. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I listened to this podcast interview with Sam Harris and mm -hmm. Roland, I don't know his uh, uh, surname, uh, at John Hopkins. And uh, 
it, it's fascinating the, the the studies they're doing because they they are kind of only recently allowed like 20 years to do these studies it was uh, it was a generation that was for, it was forbidden to do this so mm -hmm. yeah they they really hope that that is the future of uh, uh, medicine to yeah Roland Griffiths Roland Griffiths yes yeah yeah, yeah. yep it's 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 amazing what they're discovering and I'm not let's listen so so, so the so the holy spirit is in the mushroom I, well I, listen I, I'm look you've got so I used to preach this message of Moses in the burning bush if you're familiar so there's this story in the book of Exodus where where Moses is out tending the sheep out out in the desert and a bush pops up on fire and um, there, there's some are suggesting that this bush that was on fire could have contained DMT, an acacia tree. I, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but that I used to joke around because I'm like, Moses got this message from God to go to Pharaoh and say, set my people free. It was a pretty heavy thing that Moses felt compelled to do. And where did this come from? He's out in the desert. He's all alone with a bunch of sheep. And now he's coming back to his people saying, well, you know, a bush was on fire. And out of this bush, I heard the voice of God. Yeah. Right. And what, what people are saying is, is that with these psychedelics, they're saying these are the this is the single most uh, uh, significant experience of my life, of my life. And what I'm saying is, is that Christendom, for me, in my experience, I just feel like I fell into this rut where I'm showing up at church. Again, Adventists go to church on Saturday. It's the Jewish Sabbath. So the fourth commandment out of the ten, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Adventists claim that this is a, a really important teaching. So we go to church on Saturday. I was there every single week. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, what the hell is going... Like, what is this all about? Are we playing a game? Is this just... We funnel into this event called church. We listen to this speaking head called Matthew Gamble or whoever the pastor may be. And um, and what is it all... We play these... We sing these songs together. We drop money in a bucket that goes off to Never Never Land. What is this all about? Where is the transformation of my character, of my life? And I'm noticing all these other people outside of Christianity having spiritual experiences. And I'm saying, well, I want that. And so in 2017, I was actually speaking in Denmark. Um, and and I found out that, that psilocybin, they call it uh, magic truffles in, in Amsterdam. Um, but in Amsterdam, it's legal. Believe it or not, cannabis is illegal. People think it's legal there, but it's actually illegal. But magic truffles are legal. And so, um, and this is where I got in trouble with my bride and I, I take full ownership here. But without telling anybody other than one guy, if I recall correctly, uh, he was in my church. But other than this one guy, no one knew after my speaking in Denmark, I had booked a, a flight to Amsterdam for 48 hours to go experience these magic truffles which I had done and partaken of in high school, but hadn't touched since I was 19. And, um, and what would happen, if I may? Yeah, sure. So I eat the truffles. I have a wonderful day. I, I felt like a, uh, they call it a GAM, which is the beginning of my, my, my last name, but a grown-ass man. I just felt like I had a great day in Amsterdam. I didn't get involved with any of the prostitution. That, that's not my deal. But um, I just had a wonderful day eating these magic truffles, but it wasn't over the top. Um, it just felt like a great day. Yes, I tripped. I felt the, the effects, but the dose I took was the recommended dose. It wasn't an overbearing dose. And when I returned, I've always been involved with men's work, um, meaning men's groups like accountability, um, being raw, rigorously honest with a group of men. Always, mm -hmm. always, always, always. It's been a key part. I still am to this day um, in a men's group called Every Man. Uh, but when I came back, I was part of a men's group where three times a year we would we would jump into a, a house for 48 hours with a therapist and we would literally hammer the daylights out of each other. 
uh, with the therapist for 48 hours and go on our merry way. And, and when I told the guys about my story about Amsterdam, the, the therapist said, let me get this straight. You went to Amsterdam to eat these magic truffles, to have a spiritual experience, but you didn't tell your bride. And I'm like, that's right. And his response was, anything based on a lie will never be fully spiritual. And when I heard that, I got really defiant. I remember getting angry, like, you don't understand me. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't letting his comments sink in, but that was Friday night. And by Sunday of that weekend, I knew in my heart that I needed to resign because I was lying to myself, trying mm -hmm. to fit into Adventism and Christianity in general. But I was trying to fit into this box that I really didn't fit into. I wasn't looking to make people Adventist. And if I'm making a living, if I'm being paid as an Adventist clergy person, you better be wanting to make people Adventist. And that just was not my focus. And I was too curious. You know, the Bible was written a, a, around a hundred mile radius over 1600 years. You've got this hundred mile radius. And simultaneously during those 1600 years, men and women were having spiritual experiences with God on, on five other plan, uh, continents, not planets, but five other continents, you know, in Australia and Asia and Central America, South America, uh, Europe, Africa. And so I'm like, I'm just curious to go learn these things. And furthermore, seeing these psychedelics, which I'm now learning, there's all, there's all types of symbols within Christianity, historical Christianity. And I'm not, I'm not at a place where I feel where I feel educated enough on this, but I've seen enough to believe that, you know, Jesus was a very mystical man. Homie's walking on water. He's commanding the weather to change, and it does. He's raising the dead to life. He's healing the blind. He's touching lepers. He's hanging out with prostitutes. This man was very abnormal, super mystical in his approach, very effective. Homie was homeless for three and a half years of his ministry and uh, radically changed the world on its head. And I'm not suggesting here today that, that Jesus was doing psychedelics. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's what you're coming to, that he was but high on I, I, I'm not saying he was, but, but if, if indeed he's the son of God, he may not need. But there's something very unique that the human being has these receptors. Again, we produce DMT naturally and um, and they're seeing all this scientific evidence to say that DMT is is put out extremely heavily at birth and at death. And and for those of us that have have uh, experienced DMT, it'd be hard for me. It'd be hard. I would be. I, I'm hard pressed to say that there's not something behind this. And I'm just curious. At this stage in my yeah, life, the, I'm just the, curious. This is what I understand from Roland Griffin as well, yeah. that they are really puzzled what's behind in the, in the studies. It's incredible. Do. But you know, it's very controversial. But I mean, I guess in many, most countries, I, I don't know if it's even legal here in the US. Put it to you this way, as I told you, I've done a couple podcasts here recently. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it because I'm in, I am an open book and my... That's how I roll in life. That all said, I know that this is extremely controversial. I'm not looking to be at this stage in my life as I've had a couple friends say, bro, you could be the next, you know, Michael Pollan or, you know, advocate for this stuff. That's not where I'm at in my journey. I'm just in a, in a stage where I feel extremely open to it. Um, my ex, for instance, went on a tirade that Matthew's manic and lost his effing mind over, over this stuff. And, and I'm like, you know, no, I haven't lost my mind. I, I, uh, well, maybe, maybe I'm trying to lose, <laughs> I'm trying to lose elements of my, my mind with this, you know, with religiosity and with this structure that I had found myself in and just realizing that God is much bigger you know, and I, I identify as agnostic right now, not so much because I don't think God can be, can't be found out. I actually believe that we can be experiencing God. And um, um, I'll, I'll I'm going to step out on a limb because I, I don't know who all will hear this, um, but 
I recently, I feel the universe provided this for me, but I not too long ago had a DMT experience, a ceremony with DMT. There were three of us men, one shaman um, who extrapolated the DMT. This is pure 100% DMT. And I can't, I, I, I don't know that it would be appropriate to go into this now, but it, it um, the experience was the single most incredible experience of my life. So I just believe there's something What, what is happening? It it again it would it's you almost speed it's almost speed it, it would almost be because I've done LSD uh in high school. Um I've done psilocybin both back in the day and then here recently more recently in my over the last few years I've done psilocybin probably 10 to, to a dozen times. DMT is just on a completely, I'm talking pure DMT, is on a completely, uh, almost, nearly, it's almost unspeakable, the experience one has. This is not a party drug. You are not operating machinery at all. You are not, you are not present for the, the next, after you ingest it, I, I smoked it, um, you are not present for the next, 10 to 15 minutes of your life, you are, you are in another uh, dimension. I, I listened to Sam Harris talking yeah. about his experiences several times. Okay. There was this lion in the wardrobe or it's just like, is it, do you have this? Is okay, so. I mean, the, I, I'm a total beginner here because I, I'm happy we have a beer here. Yes. And that's, that's, that's kind of the strongest, strongest I'm having. Yeah, yeah. this, this <laughs> is, this is, um, you know, I, the, somebody in my men's group, I was telling my men about it, and, and somebody said, I heard it's like taking off in a rocket ship. And my response to that is, is that that just doesn't do it justice. Um, but that, you know, when the Millennium Falcon goes into to whatever that warp speed where that, do you know what I'm talking about in yeah. Star Wars where it just, all you see is just beams of light? Yeah. I would say... You know, if you could duct tape yourself onto the outside of the Millennium Falcon when that thing goes into that, whatever they call that, warp speed, <laughs> yeah. that would be the that would be more like it because it's far different than a rocket taking off. It's um, it's just an experience I'll never forget. And then the residuals of it as well. It 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 it's it's lasting. There's an impact there. And again, these are just the mysteries of God. This is like the mystery of spirituality. So I almost feel like I've had my Christian experience and I'm not trying to throw the Bible out. I'm not trying to throw Jesus out. I'm just trying to say that my understanding of the Holy Spirit coming in and some external force coming into my being, I cannot sit here today and tell you that my life B.C. or A.D., you know, before Christ or Anno Domini after Christ, I can't see a character change. Yeah. Um, um, and but I but what I can say is is that I do believe that there is a God. I believe that there's an intelligent design, and I'm merely intrigued that we have this receptor. Uh, some some people believe it's the uh, pineal gland in our brain. Um, that there's this center that we are receptive and I'm just intrigued at this point with it. And I, I you know, I want to know God. I want to, I want to experience God. I believe that life is spiritual. I believe our conversation, I believe you and me meeting at the playground that day. Yeah. You know, I don't believe that this is just mere happenstance that we meet and then we get to hang out and see each other from time to time. And, um, but I do believe I do believe this. So I, I don't I don't fully understand all of that. What I do know is is that I had put God into a shoebox, and I was living within that shoebox, and that shoebox is in a warehouse. And now not only am I outside of that shoebox, but then I've taken a step outside of the warehouse, and I call the warehouse Christianity, and that that God is much bigger than the box I had him in, and. Um, and while, while I don't have it all sorted out, and while this has been a crisis in my life of, of losing my profession, my title, I have a doctorate degree in ministry, 
Um, I, you know, I've gone everything at education-wise. I've gone down that right route. Professionally, I went down that route, and I've lost all of that. And so it's it's been a tremendous crisis. You know, call it a, a midlife crisis. I used to try to call it a midlife pivot or a midlife opportunity. But in recent months, I'm like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll resign to this is a full-blown crisis where it's just been a tough season. Yeah. But yeah. I'm trusting that something is happening, that there's a bigger purpose for, the, for what's happening in my life. Let's jump into what you're doing now. Yes. So now now you, you, you totally switched and now you are a, a coach. Yes. A business coach. So what happened was, uh, thankfully, and this is kind of the providence of God, if I may be so bold as to say, you, but you, you're the agnostic who talks the most about God I ever see. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, if I was atheist, atheist is saying, and I have a brother that was was Seventh Day Adventist, Ryan Bell. He's a very prominent guy that uh, did a year without God. He's got a podcast and whatnot. Um, he went full blown atheist. I'm not comfortable saying there is no God, just because I just believe there's so much mystery and so much connectivity and so much purpose with life despite the suffering i just believe there's so much beauty you and i are both fathers there's something magical about our children there's something magical magical about the suffering and trials of life there's something magical about a sunset um, and again our camaraderie meeting that there's just something divine to me so i'm just not willing to throw it out Into the- I mean, I, I, I always said I'm an agnostic since the beginning because that avoided me always to have a discussion why I'm athe- atheist right. or whatever. So, 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 so for me, that's always been a very convenient well, positioning. And, and look, man, my hope is, Matt's, is that one day sooner than later, I hope to feel maybe more grounded. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying on different things. Um, but yeah, in, in regards to what I'm doing today... In, in, in uh, around 2000, well, when Susan started med school, I was like, I will be damned if my mailing label reads Mr. and Dr. Gamble, so I'm going to go get my doctorate degree. And it just so happened, the doctorate degree, it is a doc, called a doctorate of ministry, but it was in transformational leadership. And one of my core classes from my now late, uh, uh, one of my core professors, the late Steve Ogney, he was a coach. And I know this is a catchphrase thrown around in in uh, leadership circles, uh, in organizations, corporations. Coaching has become really popular and it continues to increase in popularity. But I took an intensive course for a week on coaching and it changed, it blew my paradigm in ministry, the way I showed up for my parishioners and my leaders. Um, it's very simple. So in contrast to mentoring, mentoring is is you you is is uh, metaphorically is like if i had a pitcher of water and you had a cup i took my the pitcher of water would be representative of my knowledge and my understanding and my experience and i can pour into you matt's my knowledge wisdom and understanding that's mentoring you i'm taking what i know i'm transferring that to you what coaching does is comes alongside the individual and says It, it has a presupposition that the answer is in you, not the answer is in me. I'm not going to tell you what to do. What we're going to do is believe that the answer is in you, that you know what you need to do. We're just going to create space to find that out and draw it out from you. You're going to be the one that's going to be articulating your challenges. You're going to be articulating potential solutions. You're going to be articulating action steps that are going to move you forward faster. So I learned that in, in around 2007 or so. And since that time, I've been coaching people throughout mm-hmm. that entire time, um, um, sometimes formally, sometimes informally, meaning they didn't know what I was doing. They didn't know the paradigm I was using or the modality I was using, but it's such an effective tool. And uh, while I was working at, at, at St. Helena Hospital, On that campus as the pastor, St. Helena Hospital hired me as a mission strategist. Uh, the CEO at the time saw my ability to affect change within a culture, um, and, and he saw me as, as a person he wanted to have on his team, so he put me on the executive team, 
and then they they funded my way to go get certified as a Gallup Strengths Coach. Uh, since then, I'm now applied for uh, the International Coach Federation, uh, the ACC, the the Associate Coach Credential. Um, so I've, I have my application in for that. And what I've been doing is since I resigned from ministry, I just said, okay, Matthew, what's next? Like, what are you going to do next? Because you resigned, you know, when I made that decision to resign, it wasn't like Matthew went and figured out what he was going to do next and then he resigned. No, he resigned not knowing what was going to happen next. Uh, I did was able to hop into a job, but even in that job, what I did was I started coaching people. Why? Because in in the the myriad of things that I'm passionate about with leadership and passionate about with organizations, like I love marketing, I love branding, I love challenges, I love startups, I love organizations that are stuck and inefficient. And they're looking to be relevant again. That's the church I took over would be a prime example. So I'm looking for opportunities to take the things that I learned. Yes, within my church experience as a pastor, but how, what, what could transfer over into the, if we want to call it the secular world or the real world, what, what principles would transfer over? And I love people. And I love taking space and time. I know I'm talking a lot here today, (laughs) but I love creating space for people to draw out from them their visions, their dreams, their aspirations, and creating space for them to really start articulating these things. Because in life, we can just go blindly through and march to the beat of somebody else's drum and neglect our own self. And what coaching does is just creates, it's such a gift for people. And so uh, while I do consulting, I started Magnetize Global last fall, the fall of 2019. Uh, So if you go to magnetizeglobal.com, you can see me there. And um, what I've been doing is consulting with with companies and then coaching individuals and teams. Yeah, Yeah. and you do that now kind of virtually. Uh-huh. Yeah, in, everything in, is in COVID time. So anyone who listened to this, even if you sit in India where we're seeing we had a lot of listeners lately, they can reach out to you. Yeah, I've never yeah. been to India. I hope to go someday. <laughs> but yes, most of my work, the consulting work was in-house, a lot of it, but even some of the consulting was virtual. And then yes, strictly with my coaching, it's all virtual. So I use yeah. Zoom. Um, sometimes clients prefer, they find it better for them to, to be over the phone. My preference is video. Um, but, but whatever it's the client's needs and yes, virtually uh, all my clients right now are virtual, none in person, unless you become a client, Matt, and then we can, Matt's, and then we can meet in person. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, coming back to the, we're going to round it up. Yes, sir. We're hitting the one hour market zone. Uh, I mean, I think the, the Seventh Adventist Church, the, the two questions I got around it. One is, uh, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed about nutritionists. Nutrition and, and yes. Nutritionists, they often follow them because they live very long. Yes. Uh, and so that's one question if you have a view on that. Yep. It's a total side uh, sidetrack to corporate, but I'm curious about it because I read it, they, they always mention. And also, are they resentful to you? Have they kind of banned you so you kind of in persona non grata? Or? Great, great question. And I'll try to be succinct. So with the health message, Seventh-day Adventist. So there's a woman by the name of Ellen White. She had a third grade ed- education. She's one of the founders of the, the church. And this woman, I really believe, was a mystic. Like, like I would throw in, you know, Jesus was a mystic. Um, this woman was receiving visions. She's an anomaly of a human being, but one of these visions that she was receiving from God was this health message that was purely plant-based. So if you look at the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, they were eating plants and fruit. Uh, They were not eating animals. It wasn't until sin, according to that narrative, it wasn't until they ate the forbidden fruit Um, that sin entered, and that's when the first animal was killed. So the original diet, according to Scripture, would have been purely plant-based. 
And there's obviously a lot of um, science evidence coming out nowadays. You know, Bill Clinton, the likes of Bill Clinton has, you know, gone purely vegetarian or vegan. And a, m a num number of human beings have gone this way. Um, and if you've heard so of them... So they are plant-based now. It, it went, look... When you say Adventist, yes, if you're wanting to take mainline traditional Seventh-day Adventist teaching, the ideal would be plant-based. There are many within the Adventist church that are not, yeah. including pastors. So, um, uh, but yes, a, a non-alcohol, no drugs, uh, plant-based diet. So when they did the Blue Zone study, where this gentleman, I forgot his name, but the Blue Zone's non-Adventist guy... Butner. Okay, yeah, I'll take your word for it. I'm not sure, but I think so. But they, he, he studied, okay, where are the people groups that are living yeah. the largest, longest? And uh, Loma Linda University, or Loma Linda, California was one of them. Yeah. And that's a Seventh-day Adventist hub where Loma Linda University is a Seventh-day Adventist university. Uh, my ex is, is at the uh, Center for Health at St. Helena Hospital. And uh, that's a purely... They advocate very strongly for a plant-based diet there. Um, and so, yes, Adventists, traditionally speaking, mainline Adventism celebrates or, or really endorses and promotes a plant-based diet, a very healthy, um, healthy diet um, with plants and, and fruit. And, and again, I would encourage anybody listening to check out the Blue Zones because there's other there's other um uh cultures out there that live long that may not be purely plant but they're majority plant because meat is a delicacy in some of these other cultures your question about am i blacklisted with the with the denomination to be honest with you i'd say no you know i assume with social media because i am an open book i assume things like that everybody knows that i resigned i don't feel like i'm blacklisted um, um, because to be honest with you, Matt, I have no agenda. I think, I think, look, if we, if we were to sit here and say, Hey, are you angry towards the church? Let's dive into that. Yeah. I have some anger. I have mm -hmm. some frustration. Um, I think there's areas where they, they've gone off the rocker. Uh, but again, like I said earlier, I would say that the, the Adventists that I know that I'm in touch with, we have a lot of camaraderie. Um, I don't see myself ever going back into the denomination, um, um, much, uh, certainly not as a pastor, but I, I just don't see myself going there. But there are, I have a lot of, of fond experiences. I have a lot of respect for different aspects of the church. Um, um, but I don't, I don't think I'm blacklisted. I, I quite frankly, while I resigned almost three years ago to the day, August of 2017, and we're now in the mid of July of 2020, um, I have, I've had in the last two, three months, I've had this upsurgence of communicating with a lot of Adventist pastors for whatever reasons. And there's just a lot of appreciation, a lot of respect. Um, so I, I don't... I don't see it as blacklisted. I just see it as as I've decided to to take a time out, uh, step away, and my path is is leading me to to what's next. Yeah. And I'm very grateful. I mean, I've I've literally traveled six continents and and had the opportunity of speaking to tens of thousands of people. And I I, I pinch myself for that. Like I I just am very grateful and. Uh, and I'm still enamored with Jesus. I don't think that's going to go away in this lifetime for me. I, I still am very intrigued by that man and uh, and his teachings. I just feel like I got to a place where being the paid-for-clergy model, me being paid to be a pastor, I just couldn't do it anymore. Do it. I could not do it anymore. So... Um, no harm, no foul. These people don't call me, though. I'm like, God, what what... What organization, if you knew of a, uh, a member of your organization that was responsible for bringing millions of dollars in, not that I did it single-handedly, but, you know, if you, were, if you were a corporate company and you had a franchise that was doing as well as we would do, I would think you'd be celebrating the daylights and trying to figure out what can we learn here. 
and uh, that was not the case. But yeah, I think that's the case sometimes in corporate, but I mean, uh, not always. I right. Say. I think this is also kind of showing another point. That, yeah. Um, okay, we're gonna run it up there. We're yeah, around man. the hour marker. So once again, where can people find you? Yeah, magnetizeglobal.com. If you Google Matthew Gamble, I should pop up. I'm Matthew Gamble on Instagram and and uh, Doctor Dot Matthew Gamble Facebook. Um, but Magnetize Global would be okay. great. If you want to connect with a free session, if you want to rip my head apart, if you want to. Uh, 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 connect and, and want to experience coaching for the first time, go to Magnetize Global. Let's set up a free session. Um, and such a pleasure, Matt. I, re I really yeah, my, am so yeah, grateful. Great pleasure. We could talk forever. Yes. I mean, there's so many questions I have, but we have to do another episode. So thank you, Dr. Gamble. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to The Corporate Corner. If you want to know more about us, read our blog and see notes about today's show and link to the podcast, go to our website, www.thecorporatecorner.net. There you also find links to our social media presence as well as means to support us. If you want to get in touch or share a corporate experience, write us at info at thecorporatecorner.net. We would love to hear from you. Have an excellent corporate week and talk to you soon.